This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is sponsored by italki, a very convenient way to build your fluency in English by getting regular spoken practice into your life with one-to-one lessons or conversations on Skype. italki have loads of teachers just waiting to talk to you. And when you get some lessons, italki will send you a voucher worth a free lesson. To get that offer, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well. It's been a while since the last one. There's been a pause. I guess it's been, what, about two weeks since the last time I uploaded a proper episode of the podcast. Some of you will have read the uh, letter that I wrote for you, which was basically a text post that I put onto my website and also in the app as well. You might have read that too. So I just wrote some text to you, just explaining why there were no podcasts for a couple of weeks. But anyway, this is the first time I've uh, recorded a podcast here in the new Skypod. And... um, so yes, in this episode, uh, this one is a this one is kind of semi prepared, just like the last one. Everything's been a bit chaotic and a bit crazy the last couple of weeks, and things still are, c- are quite chaotic and crazy. I mean, uh, we've moved into a new apartment, as you probably know, and um, you know what it's like. It's pretty complicated, isn't it? Because you pack everything you own, all of your worldly goods are packed up in different boxes and suitcases and bags and things. And then you uh, you have to transport it all over to the new place. And then you kind of install all of the boxes and stuff. And then there are typically weeks uh, where you, you most of your possessions are stored in boxes. And it takes you ages to kind of unpack those boxes and find ways to put all of your stuff into your new space. So that's kind of what's going on. It feels like our entire lives are in all these boxes and also furniture issues. Like we've got different weird bits of furniture in the wrong places. Um, we've been sleeping in the living room. It's a kind of a living room kitchen, you know, one of those open plan kitchen living rooms. So we've been sleeping in there on the sofa bed because the uh, the bedroom, our bedroom is um, basically just full of piles of clothes and things that we're trying to sort out. Um, and there are boxes and bits and pieces everywhere. So it's very chaotic and crazy. Um, so, uh, yes, anyway, this is a this is a semi-prepared episode for that reason, just because I haven't really had a chance to properly sit down and 
work on the podcast um, because of uh, because of the move. But here we are again. Here here is a new episode. I'm not really teaching you anything specific in this episode, although I'm sure that bits of English might come up as they usually do. And I'm not talking about a particular topic, or I'm, and I'm not interviewing someone. I'm just rambling. And yes, that's rambling with an A R A M B L I N G, and not rumbling. And I've said this on the podcast before. I mean, God, after 558 episodes, I'm sure I've repeated myself quite a lot. But I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It's rambling with an A, not rumbling with a U. And I say that because often I get um, messages from people. And, well, one of the things I often see is people writing rumbling. Uh, But it's not rumbling, it's rambling, okay? Uh, All right, then. So rumbling, rumbling, well, let's see. Rumbling is sort of like a noise. So when you're hungry, your stomach rumbles. And if there's a storm in the distance, you might hear the rumbling of thunder. But uh, when you just talk without any particular plan, then you're rambling. Okay, so it's just another rambling episode. But I just wanted to kind of what touch base with you and just um, just say hello and also just give you some bits of news and just talk about some various things. Um how are you? I'm tired. I just feel so tired right now. <laughs> I'm not complaining. All right. I promise I'm not complaining because I'm, I'm very happy. The sky is blue and the, it's a nice day. There's sunshine and you can't ask for much more than that when the sun is shining and it's, it's a nice day. So I'm, I'm happy and content, but oh, I'm tired. Um, why? Well, probably because of the move, just having, having like literally carried everything like, you know, up and down stairs and, Lots of lifting, lots of heavy lifting over the last two or three weeks. The apartment that we've moved to is on the fifth floor of a building and there's no lift. Yeah, that's right. Fifth floor, no lift. Now, when we originally saw the flat, we um, we we liked it so much. We liked the place so much that we decided that it was worth it. Even though there's no lift, we thought it would be worth it. And it's not too bad, although the the thing that we keep saying when we're halfway up the staircase and our legs are aching, we keep saying, what have we done? So that's the kind of catchphrase for walking up the stairs at the moment. Oh, God, what have we done? Meaning, um, have we made a terrible mistake by moving into this flat where there's no lift? Uh, It's pretty exhausting, I have to say. Like, you know, most days I'll go up and down the stairs a few times and obviously because we've been moving, um, I've had to carry lots of heavy things and it's exhausting. But also, it's not just that. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling a bit under the weather. I've got a bit of a cold. So I've got the, the, the customary sore throat and blocked up nose and I've got a bit of a cough. Um, and I don't know if you can tell I've got a cold. Can you tell because of the sound of my voice? I've no idea. Um, so I'm feeling a bit under the weather and also, I just happened to have been very busy recently, like Sunday night, I was out doing comedy, and then Monday night, I, I went climbing. I'm going climbing again. Long-term listeners to this podcast will will know that I used to climb. I used to climb like every weekend when I lived in London. Um, I used to get together with my friends, and we'd go to indoor climbing centres and spend you know an hour or two in the morning uh, on a Saturday or Sunday climbing. Uh, it's a great form of exercise. It's a great activity to do. Uh, but then since I moved to Paris, I kind of um, stopped climbing. I just 
didn't find anyone to go with. I couldn't find the right places to to climb. But uh, I've recently started climbing again on Monday evenings with some friends of mine. And it's great. It's great to be back in into that. Uh, I'm not a great climber. Uh, I'm okay. I, I'm basically all right. I'm sort of intermediate. I'm probably better at climbing than I am at French, but that's not difficult. Um, I don't know if you can compare those two skills, can you? Climbing and French or language ability and climbing ability? I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm sort of an intermediate climber, but it's good fun. I don't know if you've ever done it. Rock climbing. Um, indoors, again, and you have these amazing indoor climbing centers where there are these synthetic walls that have been made and they, they they're made of molded stuff i don't know what the stuff is that they're made of it's like uh some kind of uh, i don't know composite material that is used to make kind of different uh um overhanging uh, uh rock faces or vertical rock faces and things like that and they can build in different features like cracks and overhangs and and things like that and then also there are these different hand holds and foot holds which have been attached onto the the wall and different roots are set and so you you kind of look at the bottom of the wall and the the roots are labeled with different uh levels and there are ropes already fitted attached at the top and so you attach you know what there's usually you climb with with two people uh it's it's two of you climbing at the same time so one person wears a harness well both people are wearing a harness that's the thing that the, the sort of straps that go around your waist and your legs. So you wear a harness. And let's say if you're going to climb, you have to um, tie the rope to your harness in a particular way, in a very safe manner. It's very important, obviously, to, to try and be safe and to tie the ropes together properly. And then uh, your partner uh, attaches the, the rope to his harness using a, I, I think it's a carabiner, like a certain um, tool which allows him or her to pull the rope through the, the system, uh, making sure that there's no slack in the rope so that if someone falls off the wall, uh, the person can be, you know, can be caught. Uh, all right, so one person's attached to the rope with the harness and then the rope goes up to the hook at the top and then back down and um, then is attached to the person who's belaying for you. So that's, you know, pulling the rope through their harness and holding the rope um, in their sort of system that they have attached to the harness so that uh, if someone falls off, they don't fall all the way down to the ground. They're caught by the, the person belaying for you. So you you strap yourself in, you've tied the rope to yourself, and then you start climbing up the uh, the wall and you have to try and follow the route. So let's say it could be, you know, all the blue uh, uh, holds. And so you, you attempt to follow the route. And, and these routes have been designed by people. Sometimes they're very tricky. And, you, you, you know, you're kind of going up and you realize, oh, my God, I've got to try and reach to get that hold. And I've got only this tiny little thing to, to put my toe on. And I've got to support my entire body weight on my toe while reaching out to grab this hold with my left hand and then you 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 know your, your palms are sweating because you're a good sort of 20 or 30 feet off the ground 
And if you fell without a rope, you would definitely die. It's like really high and you're stuck on the side of the wall and you've got to make this difficult move and your fingers are sweating and, you, and your arms are aching because, you know, you're running out of time because if you stay in this position, then you're, you're definitely going to fall. So you reach and you push with your toe on the little, little uh, tiny uh, hold that they've attached for your foot. And then when you get that hold with your left hand, you realize that there's no, there's nothing to it. It's like a, it's just a blob on the wall and you've got to try and hold on, um, as, as, you know, as well as you can. And then, you you know, it's all that sort of thing. Like it's, when you think about it afterwards, it kind of sends a shiver down your spine because you kind of think, oh, you know, just being that high off the ground and, uh, only holding on with your fingertips and your toes. It's pretty scary stuff, but at the time, it's just a sort of an adrenaline rush, and uh, there's something incredibly satisfying about pushing up with your legs and making a firm grip with your hand and then pulling yourself up further until you get all the way up to the top and using bits of technique that you've learned, you know, like twisting your toe round or putting your foot out to the side or various bits of technique. And also it's very physical. So my uh, my entire body is aching today. I climbed on Monday. I'm recording this on a Wednesday morning. My whole body's aching. I don't know if that's because I've got a cold or because of the climbing. It's probably a combination of the two. But, uh, oh, I'm feeling it today, you could say. And then last night I was out doing comedy. So uh, I'm just tired. And then sleeping on the sofa bed is not the most comfortable. And getting up in the night to, you know, take care of the baby and and things like that. So, ah, I'm pretty tired. But, uh, but it's good. You know, everything's good. The, the new flat is, is really, really nice. I'm going to tell you about the, uh, the Skypod uh, in a moment. The new Skypod, Skypod 2. I'll tell you about that in a moment. So there have been no episodes recently because I've had no Wi-Fi. Uh, moving into the flat, obviously, we had to turn off the Wi-Fi in the old place. And well, I'm still waiting for the internet to be connected here. Um, the, the guy from the, uh, like the telephone company is going to come this afternoon and connect us. Um, Orange is the company. Orange, that's the telecoms company that uh, we use. So someone from Orange, I love saying that in French, Orange. Someone from Orange or Orange is going to come this afternoon and um, fix us up with some um, fiber optic internet, which will be nice. Um, And for a couple of weeks, my wife and I have been just using our mobile connections, you know, the, the the data connections that you get from your phone. So we've been using our mobile data connections and using them a lot. I mean, you know, when you lose your Wi-Fi, that's when you realize how much you need or use the internet. We've been using it. We use the internet a lot. We don't actually have a TV in this flat. We've decided we're not going to have a TV. We're going to be like hipsters. Yeah, I don't actually have a TV. You know, those people who don't have TVs, you're like, hey, did you see that thing? Actually, I don't have a TV. Okay. Yeah. We've decided to be hipsters and not have a TV, but that's mainly because uh, we can't find a good place to put a TV in the living room. There's a fireplace a nice fireplace, you know, a place where you can have a fire. That's right. That's why it's called a fireplace. There's a fireplace that apparently we can use. So we don't want to stick a TV in front of the fireplace. And on top of the fireplace, there's a mantelpiece. 
which is the kind of shelf that you get uh, above a fireplace. And, you know, we want to do nice things with that mantelpiece. We want to maybe put a mirror there or and some other things. So there's not really a nice spot for a TV. And so we've thought, well, we'll just do without a TV. We We kind of watch our stuff on our computers and things, and we can kind of snuggle up on the sofa with with my laptop which is quite big and we can watch our shows on that and we were also thinking of maybe getting something like a projector and a and a screen so that we if we want to have like movie night we can just get the projector out and project the film on the screen and i think i'd like to do that like i don't know how long we're going to stay in this flat but um uh if we're here when uh our daughter is growing up you know when she's sort of old enough to enjoy films and things I would really like to watch films with her and I'm looking forward to watching all of the, the Toy Story movies and Back to the Future and uh, and Harry Potter and stuff like that. So uh, there you go. So anyway, the internet. Yeah, so we've had no internet. Now, some of you might be thinking, yeah, but Luke, you've got your mobile broad, you know, you've got your mobile 4G connection. Couldn't you have uploaded episodes using that? Well, um, the f- fact is I've just used all... I used up most of my uh, data in the first week of of being without Wi-Fi. So my wife and I, we watch Netflix and stuff in the evening together. And uh, so we kind of killed our, our mobile internet. Uh, so I just didn't have enough data. Anyway, here we go. Uh, anyway, I, I think by the time uh, I, what am I trying to say? Um, I'm recording this now with no internet, but because the guy from Orange is going to come later, I think I'll be able to upload this tonight, I hope, or maybe tomorrow. Um, um, Just random stuff. One thing um, people keep asking me, because the last episode I did had a video associated with it, uh, the episode 557 had a video for premium subscribers. So now I've had a few comments about that. People saying, why don't you do more videos? Which is, um, if you're a long-term listener to this podcast, you'll know is one of those common questions that people ask me. I think what I need to do is create a page on my website with frequently asked questions. Like, you know, why are your episodes long? Why don't you do more videos? Uh, what's the Russian joke? I need a frequently asked questions section on my website where I can just definitively answer those questions. One of those questions, which again, I'm dealing with now is like, why don't you do more videos and put them up on YouTube? Well, actually doing video is really complicated and annoying. It's a complex and annoying process to set it up, you know, like just getting the camera ready and setting up, finding the right camera angle, getting the lighting right. Uh, It's more complex than you might think. Also, um, editing video is difficult. Um, I've got to edit the audio of episodes. I don't edit that much, but sometimes there are little bits like, I don't know, mistakes or moments when if the doorbell rings and I've got to go downstairs and see the postman or something like that, uh, there are edits are necessary. That does happen quite often. So I have to edit the audio and then I would have to also edit the video. And this is those moments when uh, I'm doing, you know, videoing myself recording the podcast, even if it's not just a podcast episode, if it's like a specific video about something, editing video is a pain in the ass because the files are so large and sometimes my computer can't really handle it. Um, If it's an episode of the podcast, we're talking about at least an hour of video 
And just opening a project which has an hour of HD video just takes ages. And it takes, when you save the project, you've got to wait bloody ages for the computer to save the project. And then to encode the video takes ages. It's just, it becomes a huge thing. So we're talking very long processing time and uploading time. Um, and also memory space. I mean, I, I, I have a limited amount of uh, data that I can upload to my uh, audio, to my podcast host every month. And if I do one hour-long video in fairly good quality, then it kind of just kills a lot of my allowance. And so I've got to be careful not to go over my allowance. Also, video takes up masses of RAM. RAM is the kind of active memory that um, your computer uses to just process tasks. So when I've got video editing going on, if I've got a video uh, on my computer, it kind of slows my whole computer down. Um, so, And also, I don't want to give away too much free stuff on YouTube. Um, I could do more and more videos on YouTube. I know that there's a big audience out there. But to be honest, I'd rather make videos for my premium subscribers. If I'm going to make videos, I'd rather do it for them, for the premium people. Um, because... Um, you know, I'm trying. You know, I've, I've got an audience, and I, I want to try and serve them as best I can. The revenue. So, if you're talking about money, some people think that uh, making videos on YouTube can can you know bring you enough money to live on. But actually, the revenue generated from YouTube adverts, those little ads that you get at the beginning of a YouTube video, the revenue that you get from those pales in comparison to what I could make um, by producing, let's say, six sponsored episodes and a few premium episodes per month, which is what I'm doing at the moment. So it's probably about six sponsored episodes and a a few premium episodes per month. And that I can get more money. I can make a living from doing that. Uh, Whereas making YouTube videos, I'm unlikely to really make a lot of money. I mean, it's just a few it's just a few pounds a month, really. Even if you get videos that have 100,000 views, you're not going to get more than a couple of hundred pounds a month for that. Um, so admittedly, doing YouTube might bring in some new listeners. And there are automatic subtitles as well that are generated on YouTube videos. But I'm not sure now, for me personally, that it's 100% worth it. I think basically you've got to try and just do one thing. And my podcast has never been a YouTube channel. And and if I wanted to do YouTube properly, I'd have to devote all of my time and attention to just doing um, a YouTube channel and doing it in the right way. But no, this is a podcast. First and foremost, it's an audio podcast. Uh, audio is way more convenient for me. Um, and uh, I also just like the, the fact that people can listen to this when they're doing other things. You know, they People can listen to this when they're on the bus and all that sort of thing. So it's good. It's more convenient for me. Hopefully, it's more convenient for you. But having said all of those things, I'm often thinking of doing videos. Um, I often think about, you know, videos I can do. But, you know, you should realize that my productivity would drop significantly if I did just videos. You know, um, I can uh, record, produce, upload quite a lot of audio episodes. But if I was doing video, it would slow everything down. And I'm not Casey Nysat or whatever his name is. You know that YouTuber who wears the sunglasses and he he just, I think he does something like a, a YouTube video every day. He's incredibly productive. He's a famous YouTuber. 
um, and he gets up at five o'clock in the morning or something ridiculous. You know, he's in order to produce all the stuff he produces, he's up first thing in the morning. But no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get up at five in the morning to start my working day. I need my sleep and uh, I need to, I need to get a full like seven hours of sleep a night. Otherwise I'll just collapse. I'm one of these people who needs sleep. I'm not like Casey Neissat or even Paul Taylor for that matter, who often uploads and records his uh, video um, YouTube videos at like 5.30 in the morning or something ridiculous. No, I can't do that. I need my sleep. If I don't sleep properly, then I get ill. Uh, so no, I need to take it easy. Um, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the new Skypod. This episode is the first episode to be recorded in the new Skypod or Skypod 2, as I, I might call it. So the previous Skypod, you might have seen in photographs in an article that I was interviewed in online recently. So I was interviewed by a, a website called Our Paris Stories, which is all about expats who have moved to Paris. And it's it's kind of asking them to tell their story. And there are photos taken as part of a photo shoot. So I was uh, interviewed for that. And they took photos of me in the old Skypod, which is kind of ironic that like I got these photos done in a quite good quality photo shoot. And then I, like, literally the week later, I moved out of the place. Uh, but if you've seen that, then um, then you'll know what the old Skypod looked like. It was um, kind of like this little, essentially like a little box on the roof of our building. We had a small uh, um, spiral staircase to get to it. And then next to the, the, the Skypod was the terrace, which was like a little area um, on the top of the, the building where we could sit outside and have our breakfast there sometimes and have little get-togethers there and things. So that was the old Skypod. There were windows on both sides, or on all sides, in fact, except the back. So there was a window in the front, one on the side, and then uh, the the window, the sliding glass doors to get onto the terrace on the right. And, uh, and it was it was an amazing view. Oh my God, we had an incredible view across Paris. On the terrace, it was almost like a panoramic view. You could see almost 360 degrees around, including obviously the Eiffel Tower and all the other major landmarks. Just incredible. Oh my God, we miss it so much. We miss that view. It was actually quite emotional to leave the uh, the old place, like just standing there looking at the view. I think a couple of times my wife and I went up onto the terrace and we just stood there together for a while and just remembered all the times that we'd spent together in this in in our flat and you know it's like really really big time for us like you know when i moved to paris and we, we were together we got married together when we were living there we had our baby when we were living there and all these other things happened so it was like quite an emotional moment moving out and missing that view so anyway, the new Skypod, let me tell you about it. So it's also um, uh, on the top of our apartment. So there's a little staircase that takes you up here. So it's similar to the old one. Uh, but I don't have the panoramic view up here. There are windows. The windows are set into the um, into this sort of the wall slash ceiling. So it's longer than the other one. It's probably about twice as big and it's longer so there's 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 more space and you can probably hear the reverberation of my voice in the room so i've got my desk set up at the end of the room 
And so um, let's see if I can try and explain it. So imagine a, a kind of longish room with a staircase down at one end and um, and then a, a flat wall on one side. Um, the, the end wall, which is next to where I'm sitting, has got a big set of shelves built into the wall. It's fantastic. And I've put loads of my books in there. So it's just a big set of bookshelves on, on the end wall that's next to me. And then uh, the... The other sort of long wall has a sloping roof. So there are no sloping roofs in this flat, except up here where there's one uh, wall is sloping. Okay, do you get it? And in that sloping wall, there are three uh, skylight windows. You know those windows that kind of, sometimes you have them in the ceiling. And sometimes if you've got a wall that slopes, that's at an angle, you might have these skylight windows. And there's a handle on top and you pull the handle down and pop, the window comes open like that. So we've got three of these skylight windows that bring in some natural light, but that's it. And if I look out of the skylight window, I can just see some uh, roofs of surrounding buildings and the sky. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, check out that chesty cough. Um, so I can see the sky from my desk. It's just blue sky. If I stand up and have a look out the window, I can just see some roofs and chimneys and, and things like that. So nothing like the same view as before, but I still can mostly see the sky and I am on the top of the building. So I think I can still call this the sky pod. Um, and it's nice. It's uh, it's a nice room. There's loads of storage space. There's the, the shelves, uh, like I said, and then also lots of little cupboards and doors with, you know, cupboards with sliding doors. So lots of storage space. So there's, there is more space up here. I've got my guitars up here. I'm going to put them on the wall at the back. I've got like a little rug on the floor. It's nice. It's, it's more comfortable than the previous one. Uh, it's quieter than the previous one. Uh, it's really nice. And there's, there's more space for me to keep all my stuff in here. So uh, I, I really like this new Skypod and I'm looking forward to doing uh, more more episodes up here and maybe having people here too because there's enough space for me to sit a couple of people around. So this is going to be my little studio now for doing the, the podcast. So welcome. Welcome to the place. Um, I've already described the move, haven't I? I've told you about what, what that was like moving uh, flat. We, we're not too far from the previous flat. So um, to an extent, I've been able to like carry stuff from one flat to the other. Um, and so, yeah, it's been th- probably about three weeks now that I've been doing that. Just every day, going back to the old flat, picking up, picking stuff up and carrying it and then carrying it up five flights of stairs. Um, a couple of weekends ago, uh, I rented a van and um, we got some help from our friends, which was great. And we carried most of the stuff and, and transported most of the stuff across. Um, yes, okay, good. So here we are. What else do I have to tell you? A phrasal verb a day is back. Um, a phrasal verb a day is back. And what have I done? Well, I think I've uploaded... How many episodes have I put up so far? I think it's been six episodes of a phrasal verb... New episodes of a phrasal verb a day have been uploaded into the um, Luke's English podcast app. And uh, there will be a total of 10 episodes coming uh, in the app. And then after that, after we've got to, what, episode 150? After that, the future episodes will be part of the premium package. Okay, I've decided to keep a phrasal verb a day going, but it's going to be for the premium subscribers once we get beyond 150 episodes. Now, why, Luke, you might be thinking, why are you doing that? Well, 
really, it's the only way that I can see that I can keep a phrasal verb a day actually going as a as a going concern. Because, you know, either I make it part of the premium package or I just don't continue doing it. Okay, so that's that's the way it is. So that's the only way I can see the, the phrasal verb episodes. Uh, uh, the only way I can see that they will continue is to put them in the premium package. And then, you know, premium subscribers, that that adds value to the to the premium subscription. Um, so that you're getting, you know, more and more stuff all the time. So there you go. So check it out. Uh, if you don't have the Luke's English Podcast app, you can get it from the App Store. It's free. And that's where you can get all of the episodes of A Phrasal Verb A Day so far, um, including these 10 new ones. And then also, if you subscribe to Premium, you will be able to get all of the forthcoming Phrasal Verb episodes that are going to be uploaded into the app. Also online, if you go to teacherluke.co.uk slash pv, you can also find them there too. What else has been going on? Well, um, so I met Louis C.K. the other day, which was a bizarre, random uh, event. Louis C.K., do you know who he is? <clears throat> I've talked about him on the podcast before, but not recently, because I guess uh, for the last year, I think it's been a year, Louis C.K. has been a disgraced comedian. Um, so... Before that happened, before he became infamous and disgraced and uh, before he was dropped by his TV channel and before his his movie that he'd made got dropped by distributors and stuff, um, before that happened, Louis C.K. was probably the, probably the, the, the world's favourite stand-up comedian, um, hugely successful and famous stand-up who also made TV shows and films and things. Um, But then, I guess it was probably the middle of last year, lots of these allegations came out about Louis, suggesting that he'd been involved in sexual misconduct. Am I going to go into the details? Because it's a bit uh, bit kind of explicit. Okay, let's see. Let's see if I can uh, just check out his Wikipedia page and maybe we'll see what that says. So, right, so he's a stand-up comedian, very, very famous, but the last year there's been a a scandal um, and because of the scandal, he's kind of, he disappeared for a while, but recently he he has returned to comedy and there were, you know, reports of him appearing uh, at the Comedy Cellar in New York uh, doing stand-up sets. Um, but yes, okay, so he, he disappeared for a while. What happened, you might be thinking? Well, the sexual misconduct. Basically, it seems that uh, a number of women have come forward saying that Louis did various sort of um, inappropriate sexual things. I think, I mean, he's not as bad as Harvey Weinstein. He's not in the same league as that. And he's not as bad as... Um, Bill Cosby, who uh, has been found guilty of, I think, rape. I think. I'm not sure. I think it's rape. I think the allegations about Cosby were that he would uh, spike women's drinks. He would. This is Bill Cosby, another person, another comedian who has been disgraced. And I think he's being prosecuted. 
uh, allegedly Bill Cosby would actually put uh, drugs into the into women's drinks so that they would pass out, and then he would rape them essentially. So. Louis C.K. is not in the same league as that, or the same league as Harvey Weinstein, who who did, you know, more again, more serious things. But apparently what Louis did was, I mean, you know, uh, seriously inappropriate, um, but apparently he would uh, masturbate in front of female comedians in, in his dressing room or something that he would perhaps say to them, do you mind if I masturbate in front of you? And, and, like in some cases before the women had been given the chance to to say yes or no he was doing it and um oh, it's just very disappointing um yeah stories of louis ck locking the door and masturbating in front of women in front of female comics and writers uh which is very very naughty indeed obviously but also to an extent it's people argue that he was taking advantage of his um of his position because he was a very influential person in the world of comedy and these female comedians and writers may have felt like it was hard for them to just to like to say no to his invitations and things and that that was what allowed him to get away with it that these women didn't want to go and, and report it because it would sort of affect their career you know it's very complicated. It's it is. It's really really complicated. But anyway, because of these allegations, he was disgraced and uh, s- strongly criticised, of course, and and he disappeared for a while. But then he started to slowly come back doing comedy. And I remember reading reports about him appearing at the Comedy Cellar and doing doing this, that, and the other. And then last week, I think it was on a Sunday evening, I got a text message from Sebastian Marks, my comedy friend saying hey keep it quiet but louis ck is going to be in paris tomorrow performing a special uh, surprise gig uh, and you can get tickets at this address tomorrow so it was like what okay right well let's get tickets to see louis ck now it's all a bit complicated though because you kind of think i don't want to feel like uh, i'm colluding in 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 what he did because it, it starts to be that if you you know if you go and see him and laugh at him, does that mean that you're basically sort of agreeing with what he did or saying that it's okay? Uh, it's very complicated. It was actually more complicated from my friend Sarah Donnelly, who you might know from previous episodes of this podcast, who is a stand-up comedian. Because Sarah was asked to perform on the show, she was asked to to open the show. There are a few people performed at the beginning of the show before Louis C.K. took to the stage. So Sarah was one of those people. And so Sarah being um, a female comic who is very uh, conscious of all the issues surrounding, you know, the way that women are treated in the business and just what Louis C.K. did, um, she was very conflicted about it. She didn't know whether she should either A, refuse to accept the gig, uh, which could be very bad for her career because this is obviously a great opportunity to open for for someone with the with the stature of Louis C.K. Even though he is now a disgraced comedian, uh, it would still be a really big deal for her career to take that opportunity. But at the same time, she didn't want to be kind of like um, supporting what he did or somehow being seen to not care about it. Uh, and then the question also in her mind was like, do I talk about it on stage? 
am I going to make jokes about this? And, you know, she was probably thinking, I, I really have the uh, duty to deal with this subject because, you know, also that's the job of a comedian is to talk about the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is is an expression which means the thing, the big thing that nobody's talking about, but which everybody knows. So in this case, it was that Louis C.K. Um, was involved in all these dodgy sex scandals. And uh, that's the elephant in the room. And everyone's like, you know, should we talk about it? Apparently, well, I know because I saw him do it. But uh, Louis C.K. is not really addressing the issue that much in his comedy. Uh, I mean, there are different opinions about it. Some people say that um, what he did is not that bad and that he doesn't need to apologise about it and that he's already paid his debt by, you know, because of the effect that this has had on his career. Apparently, he lost something like $35 million uh, in just one day when the the sexual misconduct allegations came out and uh, the film that he'd spent all his money producing... Uh, was dropped by distributors and then his TV uh, show got dropped by his TV station and so he lost something like $35 million apparently. Uh, so arguably, you know, some people would say that he's already paid for it but then other people would say that, um, that uh, you know, what? That you shouldn't really um, support what he's doing. I don't know. It's just so complicated. But Sarah had the the, the, the tricky... Uh, decision to make and in fact um sarah you know is a comic uh living in paris she's from america and she works a lot with amber minogue who you know well from the podcast and amber in fact wrote an article which ended up being published in the guardian about this whole situation and i think probably that that guardian article sums things up a lot better than i can um at this point because i'm just i just don't know how to describe it really and uh, how to put it but let me find the article maybe I can read the article to you okay so I found the article from the Guardian written by Amber Minogue last week and I'm just going to read it to you okay so this hopefully will explain the, the the situation a bit better than I could so it goes like this I felt a duty to speak up the female comedian who opened for Louis CK the stand-up the stand-up continued his contentious comeback in Paris presenting a dilemma for the woman asked to gig with him. By the way, Louis C.K. was gigging in Paris because I think he is currently going out with a French woman. So he's going out with a French woman who is a comedian and she performs both in French and in English. So I think she's been spending time in the States and maybe she met Louis there and they struck up a relationship and then that's maybe what led to him coming over here and doing uh, a sort of um, a surprise performance. Let me continue reading the article. Being asked to open for a famous comic is every struggling stand-up comedian's dream. A chance to be seen, to get a foot in the door. But what if that comic is no longer famous, but notorious? Uh, Okay, notorious or infamous, by the way, these are both words uh, which mean famous, but for bad reasons. So you've got famous and then infamous, meaning famous for negative things, and notorious also is a synonym of that. I'll continue reading. Louis C.K., once the stand-up world's darling, now it's bête noire, took to the stage on Tuesday night in Paris for a hush-hush, 
last-minute performance in a plush theatre near Pigal. CK recently returned to the New York comedy scene nine short months after allegations of sexual misconduct emerged, ultimately confirmed by CK himself. Some are disgusted by his hasty return. Others are keen to welcome him back. Does it matter that his apology left a lot to be desired or that he seems reluctant to address what has happened, that he masturbated in front of women? It certainly mattered for my friend and comedy partner, Sarah Donnelly, an American doing stand-up in France. When she was asked to open for Monsieur C.K., she was conflicted. She could hardly turn down a paid gig like this, but accepting it made her think twice. How would her being on the lineup be perceived? Could she talk about the allegations on stage? Would her silence on the issue during her performance be taken as complicity? As comedians, it's our job to address the elephant in the room, says Donnelly. And as a woman, I felt an enormous responsibility to speak up. But of course, it's my job to be funny without committing career suicide. Ultimately, I took the gig because if it wasn't me, it was going to go to another man. And that didn't seem fair either. Before the show, the audience, mostly French, chatted while the back curtain was lit up with the emblem of the New York Comedy Night, a bi-weekly showcase organised by Sebastian Marx, another American comedian in Paris. After Sebastian, Sarah and two other local French comedians, Adrian Arnoux and Noman Hosny, took to the stage, and then it was Louis C.K.'s turn. Any worries that Louis might have had about his reception would have been dispelled the moment he walked out on stage and the crowd erupted into a long, loud applause. After announcing, I've been in Paris four days, it's a nice place, a place where any shitty American is welcome, CK started his set by saying, so what kind of year have you guys had? The audience applauded supportively. His set was typical Louis CK, scatological, observational, and self-deprecating. He talked about his baldness, about being overweight, feeling old. He talked about woke young couples on the subway. Sex was brought up through a variety of crude and absurd premises, but the topic of masturbation was avoided. He kept a notebook on stage that he referred to throughout his set, admitting at times, that's a new joke or that needs work. He performed for over an hour, much to the crowd's appreciation, and even came back for an encore. Did he mention the events of past of the past year? No, not really. After the show, the audience stood outside smoking. They are French, after all. A woman in her 20s with a CK badge said, I saw him in London and once in Paris. It was great seeing him tonight. Another said, it was really good. Sometimes I didn't understand, but it was a great show. There were no signs of disgruntlement or displeasure. No angry protesters. Apparently in New York, uh, when he's been performing, there have been actual protests outside his shows. Maybe because it had been so secretive, or maybe because there's a different feeling in France towards Louis C.K. and even the Me Too movement in general. Sarah did manage to refer to C.K.'s misconduct in her comedy set without saying a word. Just a handy pantomime and an acknowledgement of her being the only female on the lineup and a quick reference to the Me Too movement that seemed to be enough to break the tension, to which the audience showed their appreciation with laughs. 
Should we have a discussion about what has happened? She mused later. Yes, definitely. But there's no guidebook. And I think we're all going to feel uncomfortable in the meantime. So uh, Sarah, in her set, she was brilliant. And she did manage to address the elephant in the room. Um, I can't remember exactly what the joke was that she made. But it was something along the lines of, you know, I feel slightly uncomfortable. I feel slightly conflicted about being a a female comic on the lineup this evening. uh, Because, and then instead of actually saying the word masturbation or actually explicitly referring to what he did in words. She just did a mime with her hand, which obviously is very crude, but you know, this is stand up comedy and it's, it's often quite rude and crude. But so Sarah said, you know, obviously I feel a bit awkward being the female comedian on stage tonight because of, and then she did a mime with her hand. And I had to say it was very funny. And the audience all laughed a lot because of that. So uh, Amber and I were in the audience on the second row watching the whole show. uh, And uh, I mean, it was a slightly weird thing because I I kind of felt like, well, you know, should I laugh at this? Because uh, uh, I don't want to seem like I like I'm just laughing. Like I don't think it's it's it matters what he did. Um, But I have to admit that, you know, I did find a lot of it funny. A lot of the things that he said that were nothing to do with what he did. I did find them funny, so I did laugh. And it sort of raises questions about what happens when a, a, a public figure who is an artist or someone who produces work like this, what happens when you learn that in their private personal lives they do things which are really inappropriate or unacceptable or even criminal? Uh, what happens when you find out about those things? Do, are you still able to enjoy the person's work? Uh, you know, should the person's work somehow be removed or something, or should we still be able to enjoy it? And you, you know, it makes me think of someone like Roman Polanski, the 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 director, who is an amazing director of films. He directed films like Chinatown, which is an incredible piece of work, one of my favourite films of all time. But Roman Polanski is also a disgraced person because he um, w- was facing charges of statutory rape. In the USA, apparently, he had sexual intercourse with an underage girl way back in, I think, the 1970s, maybe even the 1960s. So he's been facing these charges. It's all very complicated because there was apparently a party at Jack Nicholson's house, of course. Um, There was a party some time ago and Roman Polanski ended up having sex with this girl. He later found out that she was underage, under the, the, the legal age which is a crime. I mean, that's, that is actually statutory rape, um, having sexual intercourse with someone who's underage. So he learnt later, he, he claims that he didn't know um, what age she was and that she uh, had lied to him and all this stuff. It's very complicated. Uh, and uh, Roman Polanski escaped America because he escaped the, the, the criminal charges and he came to Europe. And in fact, I think he came to France. And of course, France was like, yes, of course, we welcome you here. And it doesn't matter what you did. Uh, that's why Louis C.K. said it's nice to be here in France, a place that welcomes any shitty American. But, you know, the, with the case of Roman Polanski, does that mean that we can't enjoy his work anymore? Does that mean that the, that the films that Roman Polanski made are now off limits I don't know. I just, I really don't know. I, I, I don't really know what to say or think about that. I mean, Woody Allen is another case. I can't, I don't really know what the allegations are about Woody Allen, but there have been 
similar allegations going around about him. And that mean what does that mean we can't watch Annie Hall anymore? I don't know. I just don't really know. But it was a complicated and weird experience seeing Louis C.K. in that context. And then after the show, we went backstage. We went to the sort of the downstairs backstage area. And there were lots of like French comedians there all hanging out and uh, the producers of the show and Sebastian was there and Sarah was there and stuff. And so we went down and there was some food laid out on the tables and we were eating the food and having a few drinks and chatting and stuff. And it was time for us to leave. Uh, Amber and I decided to leave and we went to find Sebastian to say goodbye to him. And we went over and Sebastian was standing t- talking to, to Louis CK. And um, so I ended up like chatting to Louis CK for a couple of minutes. And I was like, hi, you know, how long are you in Paris? And, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And I shook his hand. I did, I did wipe my hand afterwards. You, you'll be glad to know. I, I gave it a thorough clean <laughs> afterwards. I wiped it. I didn't wipe it in front of him, although I could have done that. I wonder if he would have found that funny if I'd sh- shaken his hand and then wiped it on my trousers like that. I don't know. He might've found that funny, but anyway, it's so a weird evening. A total surprise to have Louis C.K. in Paris. A total surprise to meet him. And on on one hand, a, a, a great thrill for me to meet this guy. Because before I knew about these things he did, I mean, I always looked up to Louis C.K. He was like one of my favorite comedians and a sort of a hero of sorts. So in, in one sense, it was like a great thrill for me to actually be able to meet the guy and shake his hand and talk to him. But on the other hand, it was kind of like a bit weird because the guy is, you know, he's disgraced. He's infamous now. And so I'm not sure to what extent I can really enjoy having met him. So very complicated. It's a complicated time, isn't it? It is. You know, the Me Too movement is, is I admit it's complicated. I think that basically the principle is, is, is good. The principle is that, that uh, women should be able to talk about um, harassment or abuse that they've had. And that, you know, men shouldn't really be able to get away with this, that, that it should now be acceptable for women to be able to talk about these things without fear of reprisals in some way. But, you know, also there are other arguments about how, um, to an extent, Me Too is, is, has become a witch hunt. A witch hunt, that's when... Uh, a witch hunt is basically a metaphor to describe when uh, people are being rounded up and maybe being punished... Um, and and yet the process is not very um fair so these ref- this refers to the witch hunts that, uh, of the when 17th century 16th century I, I don't remember when they happened exactly there have been num- numerous witch hunts in europe and also in america in the early f- days of the, uh, you know when america was founded witch hunts this is when for some reason a community would decide that a a, a woman in this case was a was a witch and they would um they would do some bullshit uh judgment of whether she was a witch or not like basically the judgment was uh she'd be dipped in water and if she floated she was a witch and then they would just you know then they would probably kill her but if she didn't float if she sank in the water she wasn't a witch but obviously if someone if the woman sinks in the water she's going to die anyway so this kind of stupid uh way of determining whether the person was a witch or not so a witch hunt now refers to a sort of um 
a process of, of punishing someone or a, per, a process of judging someone that's not very fair. So some people argue that, that in some cases, uh, the Me Too movement is being used as a sort of a witch hunt. And it's it, it's now possible for uh, women to make allegations about men and it essentially ends their career uh, and causes them huge damage, even though the process is not really a judicial process. And so it's it's kind of a weird system of like revenge or... Or, or 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 a kind of vigilantism of 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 sorts. So it's very complicated. I agree with the basic idea of it, which is that you know um, uh, we need to try and eradicate the culture of harassment and weird sexual uh, abuse that happens all the time and that women are subjected to. Um, but obviously, I acknowledge that that there is a uh, to an extent there is a. A bad side to the movement in that it, it, it's a sort of a non-judicial process of punishment that uh, in some cases is is questionable I, i'm i think some of the maybe some of the allegations are unfounded and they're and and they are um some of those allegations will be um um like revenge basically for for, for something i don't know it's it's very complicated and weird and i don't really know quite how to how to how to think about it or how to talk about it i should probably stop talking about it anyway because i'm not really qualified to do it maybe what i should do is have a conversation with sarah on this podcast and ask her to tell us about her experience of um of this incredible opportunity to open for um one of the one of the world's leading stand-up comedians even though he is now a disgraced person maybe that's what i should do um, what else? What else? Well, um, at the weekend on Sunday, it, it was the World War One Remembrance um, Day, and in England, um, there was as as usual on the eleventh uh, day of the eleventh month, and the eleventh. In fact, it's the eleventh hour of the eleventh day of the eleventh month. So that's basically eleven a.m. on the eleventh of November. Uh, there is um, a remembrance service and various different things happen across the country to remember the people who died during uh, the First World War. This year is a particularly significant one because it's uh, 100 years since the, uh, since the end, since the armistice at the end of World War I. And um, I want to do an episode about World War I. I'd like to do an episode all about this because of the 100-year um, commemoration of the of the armistice. I think it's really important to talk about what happened, um, because I think almost everyone who, who lived through World War I is now dead, um, or at least very, very old, and perhaps even unable to tell their story. And before long, World War I will, will pass out of living memory. But it's very, very, very important that we remember what happened. So I've been reading about it. I've been listening to podcasts about it. I've desperately been desperately been trying to understand, trying to get a grip on what actually happened in World War One. Why did it start? How did it start? And how did it end up being so, so utterly destructive and pointless? I mean, certainly on the Western Front, um, there were years and years of trench warfare where the allied forces and the the central powers were fighting um 
there were there were trenches all the way across Europe from uh, the north coast of Belgium all the way down to the Mediterranean. Uh, the fr- the lines there were basically the army dug into trenches and s- some just ridiculous, pointless um, warfare where basically the sides would send uh, their 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 infantry over the trenches to run across no man's land to try and capture uh, the other side's uh, trenches. But they were basically running into uh, machine gun fire and artillery uh, fire and, you know, just slaughter, just tens and tens, hundreds of thousands of people dying. Really, really hideous, hideous time. And it just, it was just madness, basically. It's just like the whole world just went completely mad. And how on earth did that happen? It's a very complicated thing to try and understand. I'm not really ready to talk about it yet properly. But, I mean, it's a combination of factors, like the the um, um, incompetence of leaders, um, the, uh, the, 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 the old-fashioned attitudes to war, which was that war was like this romantic thing, this ideal idealism of of the romanticism of of being a soldier, but then that whole whole thing brought into the modern era, in which we have machine guns and high explosives and artillery, like uh, you know artillery that can fire on targets um, from from miles away. And just the incredibly destructive power of military technology, but but the the but the armies were still using old fashioned tactics and old fashioned mentality, and it resulted in like uh, millions of people being killed and nothing being achieved, nothing at all. In fact, really, all that was achieved at the end of World War One were the it was just the, the context for World War Two to occur. So World War One just achieved nothing except slaughter and the foundations for even greater global slaughter with World War Two. Just a horrible, horrible time. And also, though, the tribalism and the sort of basically the racism or, or nationalism uh, also that, that led to um, World War One happening, the, the kind of empire-building and the um yeah basic racism or just the hatred of 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 neighbors um and and a perceived hatred of people who don't belong to your tribe and all that kind of thing um and so we just have to make sure it doesn't happen again it could easily happen again because we're in a context now where there is you know there's a sense that uh empires are lines are being drawn that people want to d- develop their own empires again that there is potential you know conflict going on i mean you know what's been going on in syria in syria which i think has basically been a proxy war between the the main power blocks i guess you've got probably russia on one side and the states on one side uh and now we've got like europe in the middle and we don't know what's going to happen there and i don't know it's I just seriously hope that the, the human race doesn't kind of do it again. But if we did do it again, if we did end up having a big conflict, I don't think it would be the same. I mean, uh, it would. We're we're in a such a technological world now that it would be. I don't know how a, a, a World War Three would would uh, be carried out. I don't really want to know, to be honest. 
But anyway, I'd like to talk about World War One properly on the podcast and maybe attempt to tell the story. It's going to require lots of work. Um, and also my dad would like to talk about it too, because in his town where they live now, he's been involved in lots of commemorations for World War One, And he knows a lot of the stories about what happened to the residents of his town uh, who were sent out to, to fight in the war. And so he's got stories to tell. So maybe I can do that. Um, I can talk to him about that. But um, anyway, I just would like to just remember the people who died, like individuals who lived through hell. I mean, absolute living hell. Basically, like living in a hole in the ground, a muddy, cold, uh, wet hole in the ground, um, a, a, a trench surrounded by uh, like probably craters in the earth, craters that will be full of uh, poisonous um, slime, a mix of um, probably uh, water, mud, poisonous gas, like the the, the remnants of, of poisonous gas, and decomposing, decaying bodies of your friends all around you while being assaulted with bombs falling from above all the time and machine gun fire and all you need to do is put your finger up above the the parapet of the uh, uh of your trench and and machine gun fire will cut, will try and shoot shoot it off i mean just absolute madness and certain death all around you all the time uh living through all that shit i mean just it's just a hideous hideous uh thing but um uh an important thing to remember i have been listening to uh, a podcast called hardcore history with dan carlin which is an incredible uh project hardcore history it's called you can get it you know from any the normal places you get your podcasts and there's a series in hardcore history called blueprint for armageddon and it's basically an account of world war one and now, if you thought that episodes of Luke's English podcast were long, that's nothing compared to episodes of Hardcore History. His episodes can be five hours long in, in cases, maybe more, maybe a bit less. But we're talking like mammoth episodes, marathon episodes. Uh, but Blueprint for Armageddon on the Hardcore History podcast is an absolutely fascinating and incredibly detailed account of the entire story of World War One. And if you'd like to you know, hear more about it, then I definitely recommend that. I can't really think of anything better. I've also been reading a book, uh, a sort of a, a um, an account of, of what happened too. But it's so hard to, to get your head around it. It's incredibly complicated. It's a, it's a, it's all a bit of a, um, a puzzle, really. So if it, if I can manage it, then I will do an episode about World War One, I. I think it's important. Um, and so just finally, I'd like to just talk about what? I'd like to talk about that article that I was uh, featured in on Our our Paris Stories. Uh, yeah, Our Paris Stories. So I, I talked about this earlier on. And um, so Our Paris Stories, they're basically, it's a collection of stories from people who moved to Paris. And they interviewed me and there was a photo shoot. And I thought that what I could do is read out the um, read out the article to you you might find it interesting and I'll link it as well. I'll link the article on the page for this episode so that you can see the photos of my previous Skypod. 
So, okay, so to end the episode then, I'm going to read out this um, this article that was published um, about, about me um, on our Paris stories. Okay, here we go. The title of the article is English Insights from Luke Thompson's Skypod. What's a Skypod? Well, that's what Luke Thompson calls his office, a rooftop terrace overlooking the Eiffel Tower, where he records his award-winning podcast for listeners around the world. This expat from England has an impressive list of Luke's English podcast episodes, 557 and counting to be exact, where he combines English teaching with entertaining conversation and insight into the culture of the language. His Paris story is more than his job, however. In fact, Luke moved to France for love. What is your Paris story? Well, I'm a comedian, teacher, podcaster from England. I came to Paris about six years ago because I met a French girl in London and I didn't want to lose her. She was in London for two weeks. We saw each other all the time. When she had to go back to Paris, we kissed at the Eurostar station and I watched her leave. It was difficult. We decided to keep things going despite living in different countries. As she left that day, I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. I knew I was entering a new chapter in life. I never expected to end up with a French girl, but you can't pick who you fall for. We had a long-distance relationship for about three years before I decided to leave my life in London and head to Paris. I cancelled my phone connection, I switched off the Wi-Fi, I rented out my flat and packed up my entire life in the back of a car and drove to Paris. On the way there, I must admit that I did think to myself, "Uh uh-oh, what the hell are you doing? But I was also happy to finally be able to live with my girlfriend, now my wife. And Paris is not bad either. Still, I moved here for the girl, not for the city. I sometimes don't get on with Paris, but this is now my home. I'm an English teacher and I've been uh, teaching English for 17 years. These days, my main projects are my podcast, my website, and my other online teaching work. I'm also a stand-up comedian. And it's great to be able to perform comedy here in Paris in English on a regular basis. In terms of what I do, these days I mainly produce episodes of my podcast in which I try to help people to learn English by keeping them entertained any way I can. I produce the podcast at home in my flat, often recording episodes here on the rooftop. Uh, so we have a small rooftop terrace with a little office next to it. I call it my Skypod, and that's where I do my recordings. It's cool to sit there with a view over the roofs of Paris, talking to people around the world. My biggest audiences are in China, Russia and Japan. France is something like number 15 in my list of countries. Whenever I move to a new city, and I've done that quite a lot, Liverpool, Birmingham, Tokyo, London and Paris... I always need to get a good view of the whole city. It sometimes helps me to develop my relationship with the place. Finding a good view is a crucial moment in my relationship with a city. I need to see the whole thing and then I can say, ah, this is my city now, or simply, this is my home. In every city I've lived in, I've had these moments when I can absorb the city as a whole from one viewpoint. In London, it was when I found a flat with a view of the city from the ninth floor. In Paris, it's the view from our rooftop. I can see most of the big landmarks. It's a very special place for me. I can connect with the city without having to be down on the street with the crowds of people and the traffic. 
It's also the perfect place to get inspiration and then record episodes of my podcast. The sunsets in the evening are particularly stunning. My audience like it when I share video footage while recording the podcast. Um, There have been lots of great moments here, mostly provided by my wife, who's been introducing the city to me ever since I first came here. The birth of my daughter obviously stands out. The taxi ride on the way to the hospital was oddly serene. My wife was amazing. And we drove across Place de la Concorde at 1am on Boxing Day. It was deserted and beautiful. The next time we went through that place, we were a family of three. But another very special moment for me was performing stand-up at the Bataclan in front of over 1,000 people. I was one of the opening acts for my mate Paul Taylor, who was doing a special performance of his one-man show. He invited me to be one of his opening acts because I'd helped him to write some episodes of the What the Fuck France Canal Plus TV show. By the way, listeners, yesterday was the three-month anniversary of the Paris attacks. If you remember, three... Did I say, did I say three months? I meant three year. Uh, three years ago, um, ISIS terrorists came to Paris or they yeah, they drove into Paris and they attacked various locations, including the Bataclan, which is a concert venue, a big venue. And they, they broke in with machine guns and they killed lots of people and held lots of people hostage. Um, you probably remember, I, I did do an episode about it with Paul because Paul witnessed some moments of that evening. He was out at the Pan Am Comedy Club and just down the road from there, uh, was where some of the attacks actually happened, and um, so you can you can actually listen to Paul describing those events. It's in the archive. It's called what was it? Paris terrorist attacks, I think. Anyway, it's in the archive. So anyway, that was three years ago yesterday that those attacks happened. So um, it was particularly special to be able to perform a big comedy show in the Bataclan. Um, so I'll continue reading the article. The Bataclan was completely full, which was amazing. Someone told me there were at least 1,300 people in the audience. Normally, I perform to small rooms, but this was something truly special. The great thing was that for some reason, I wasn't scared. And in fact, I just loved it completely. All those people just sort of lift you up and you just perform your material much bigger and more expressively. I wanted to stay on stage for the whole show. Also, it was special to perform there after what had happened in November 2015. We hung out backstage before the show and realised that this is where people had been attacked and had tried to escape. These were the windows that people had jumped out of. Bad things happened in the main room. But that evening was different because we raised the roof with laughter. It was amazing and it felt like some sort of victory. The Bataclan is no longer a site of tragedy, at least for me anyway. Tell us about your most challenging experience as an expat. My most challenging experiences are always social ones. This is because of my French, which is not good enough for meaningful conversations or even just human level interactions. I'm quite hung up on this, as you know, as you will know if you've seen my stand up. <clears throat> By the way, my French is a bit better now. I, I feel a bit better about my French now than I did when I when I was interviewed for this. My French isn't very good, but my excuses are improving all the time. 
I work in English, I speak to my wife in English, I do stand-up in English, everything's in English. People I talk to always switch to English as soon as they hear me say bonjour. I get overcharged in small shops and I can't negotiate my way out of it. Going to the post office to pick up a package feels like taking part in a hostage negotiation. I'm lazy when it comes to studying the language and my confidence is shot to pieces because I beat myself up about it. As a result, I just tend to dry up completely in social situations. The longer I stay here without my French improving, the more excruciating it becomes for me. Obviously, I have to sort this out, but ironically, I'm a terrible student despite being a language teacher. There's a bit of language to teach you there. Um, I think we've got... Um, my confidence is shot to pieces. If something is shot to pieces, you can imagine um, with, it, with a gun, bang, 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 shooting something until it's in pieces. Um, so it's destroyed, it's broken. So if your confidence is shot to pieces, it means it's been broken or destroyed by something. Uh, my confidence about French is shot to pieces because I beat myself up about it. To beat yourself up means to criticise yourself very strictly. Okay, so for example, if you failed an exam, you might say, oh, don't beat yourself up about it, meaning don't be too hard on yourself. But my confidence is shot to pieces because I beat myself up about my French. And as a result, in social situations, I tend to dry up completely. If you dry up, it means that you... Uh, it means that you, you, you suddenly can't think of words to say. You, you stop talking. Uh, dry up would be when all of the moisture is gone. So if a, a pond dries up or a river dries up, it means that all the water has dried, uh, has, has dried up and gone away. And so there's nothing left. Uh, but you can say that a person dries up as well when they can't think of anything to say and they go all quiet. Okay. Um, and I said, the longer I stay here without my French improving, the more excruciating it becomes for me. Excruciating means very painful. It's an extreme adjective and it means very painful. Absolutely excruciating. <coughs> so social situations can be rather excruciating because, you know, I've been here for bloody six years and yet my French is not as good as it should be. And so it's just embarrassing. Uh, a French party is like my worst nightmare. I dread the inevitable conversations about my French and then about how long I've lived here. Generally, I just want the earth to swallow me up. There's another expression. If you're in a, if you feel very embarrassed, we say that you want the earth to swallow you up. It's like you want the earth, you want a hole to appear and the earth to just go hum and just swallow you up so you disappear. Generally, I just want the earth to swallow me up. Also, I always have the feeling I'm committing all sorts of social errors, like I'm cutting the cheese in the wrong way, because in, in France there is a particular way that you're supposed to cut cheese, or that I'm putting the bread in the wrong place. You have to put the bread in the right place as well when you're eating. The French value bread so much that it even has a good luck system built into it, and it's the only food which you can just put on the table like it's immune to bacteria. So I basically, I'm sort of struggling still to try and work out the all the social etiquette rules. I would be very happy to know if some of your readers have the same experiences as me, certainly regarding communicating in French. As far as I can tell, everyone else around me is just learning the language and doing great. I don't know what my problem is. 
On the plus side, I did recently pass my French test for citizenship. It was a borderline pass, but I passed anyway. So I have the bare minimum required to become French, which is a necessity because of Brexit. When I first moved here, I thought that I would be, uh, I thought it would be for just a couple of years. My wife loves London and we talk about moving back there sometimes, but now I'm applying to become French. This is the last thing that I expected. Um, just a couple of more paragraphs left here. Um, how did you, how do you meet people in Paris? I tend to meet people doing stand-up comedy. I've met most of my close friends here doing that. Also, we sometimes get famous comedians in town who want to do some comedy at our shows. I've met people like Gad Elmaleh, Jim Gaffigan, Eddie Izzard, now Louis C.K., and others, which is amazing and unexpected. There's a small comedy scene here in English. These days, the most common shows where I perform are the French Fried Comedy Night on Tuesdays, uh, the New York Comedy Night, uh, the Great British American Comedy Night, and also Lost in Frenchlation. Uh, they now have comedy before they screen some of their French films with English subtitles. Um, when I have a comedy show in the diary, I usually post the links on my Facebook page. What advice would you give to others wanting to move abroad? Well, I would say think about why you want to move move abroad. Is it because you're unhappy living in your current place? When we travel to a new place, we still bring ourselves with us. So we bring our own personalities and issues and foibles. Foibles basically means like weaknesses in your personality. Basically, what I mean is beware of traveling as a means of escape. It won't work. Um, because you always bring your own problems with you. We always believe that the grass is greener on the other side. Also, beware of having an idealistic view of a place that you're going to, because the reality is probably a lot more tough and challenging. My main advice is to keep it real. Uh, make your own happiness, explore and give yourself time to really find your own place in the city. Think about your reasons for wanting to move and perhaps work out any issues that you have inside first. Find something to do, like an activity. Make new friends, have new experiences and do your best to learn the local language. Don't use me as an example when it comes to learning French. It doesn't really matter what people think of you. And French people find it adorable when foreigners try to speak their language. Although you might have to put up with a million comments about your accent. How do you deal with homesickness? I generally deal with homesickness by going to Marks and Spencer and then loading up on tea and biscuits. I then go home and stuff chocolate digestive biscuits into my face and wash them down with Marks and Spencer's gold blend tea, which is the best tea that you can get in Paris, by the way, while listening to the Beatles and or watching Monty Python clips on YouTube. This is how I spend most of my time, actually, drinking tea, eating biscuits, listening to the Beatles and watching Monty Python. How can people continue following your story? The best place to go is my website. This is where people can listen to the episodes of my podcast. I've told lots of stories in episodes over the years, including my first experiences of moving here, tales of ending up in hospital in Japan, climbing a volcano in Indonesia, struggling to learn French and more. Also, there are lots of fun conversations with friends of mine who perform comedy. You might enjoy it. Really, the podcast has won quite a few awards over the years, and I'm quite proud of it. So there you go. That was my article from OurParisStories.com. You'll find a link to that on the page for this episode. You'll also find a link to the, the Guardian article that I read from before. Um, 
And that is now the end of this episode of the podcast. It's a long one, which is great, isn't it? For those of you who like the long ones, those of you who don't like the long ones, well, you've probably abandoned it. You probably abandoned this ages ago. I don't really care, to be honest. Sometimes I do long episodes. What are you going to do? Huh? What are you going to do? All right. Thanks for listening. Uh, the podcast will be back uh, with, you know, the normal type of episodes soon, uh, which admittedly won't be as long as this probably thank you so much for listening thank you for being wonderful audience members and i'll speak to you again soon but for now goodbye bye 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 thanks for listening to luke's english podcast for more information visit teacherluke.co.uk deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.